book. So I have a picture there of a gentleman by the name of Joshua Chamberlain, or Jacob Chamberlain, excuse me, Dr. Jacob Chamberlain. And so he lived from, eight, he was born in 1835, died in 1908, and he was a missionary to India uh, from the Dutch Reformed Church in America. So he was born in Sharon, Connecticut. He studied theology and medicine, so he was a, an actual medical doctor. And he, he, he went to you know, seminary, so he's a, a pastor and theologian as well. And so in 1859, he joined the Arcot Mission in South India. And so as a doctor, he began two hospitals and conducted several dispensaries. Right? So he's there helping, giving. He moved from America, moved to India, opened up two hospitals. But, it promote, he, he, but he also, a large part of his work was actually translating the Bible, so from English, into a, a language called uh, Toluga. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, uh, so it's a people group in India. And so it's one of the many, um, I, don't know, I don't know if tribe is the right group, but it's a people group in India. And so he was really focused on getting the gospel message to them. Right? So, of course, probably easy to stay in America in the 1850s, you know, 1860s for the most part. But he decided to move out of there, move to a third world country, what we would consider a third world country now, that didn't have whatever we have in America. And he decided to go set up shop and, and tell the gospel there. And so he, he prepared a hymn book in their language, in the Telugu language. He, he wrote a Bible. He was revising that as well. And he also started a, a Bible dictionary for them, the first volume of that. And so, so we're going to hear this story a little more about what he did because it, it goes into this theme of joy that you see how people work and why they do things. Right? He had such a joy in the Lord, he wanted to go share the Lord with people that, you know, thousands of miles away, especially... He couldn't just get on a plane and fly to India from, from Connecticut. He had to take probably several boat ships going the very long way around, you know, all the way around Africa, or excuse me, South America, and around, or uh, over to England and down around Africa and around to India, right? So there's a very long, arduous journey in the, in the 1800s. And so we're going to see this guy, how, what he does, and, and how it affected the people. And we're going to look at in the story that we're going to hear, it's two people in particular and how those two people spread the gospel to their, to, to their village and everything else. And so this guy who goes over to just give medical aid to these two people and how this affects from his gospel teaching to everybody else and how it changes their lives. And so likewise, we're going to see this, you know, the angel, we're going to see in a minute, the angel comes and tells the, the shepherds. And all of a sudden they have this huge miraculous they're in this middle of this life-changing event. We see the joy that they have, the news that the Savior is born in Bethlehem, and how they react as well to this. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to read all, all uh, 12 verses or 13 verses. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and were keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. 
When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. And so we have this fairly short story, but there's a whole lot of action going on in this. Right? And so if you look at the outline on your back of your the bulletin, so the first point is we need to hear the news. Right? We need to hear the good news so we can be joyful. Then we need to confirm the news, and then we need to marvel at this news. And hopefully, once we do all these things, this is the news, just as the title implies, that we can't keep to ourselves, that we want to tell everybody else so they can do the same process. All right, so if we start with the verses 8 through 14, that's kind of the big setup of the whole story. Right, the shepherds are outside in their fields. They're hanging out with their flocks. They've maybe been moving them back and forth from region to region. I'm not sure what time of year this is, really. So you know, they may have been taking them to slaughter, taking them to be sheared, whatever they needed to do. So they're outside watching them. You know, they probably had to walk or they're keeping up with their flocks all day. And they also have to make sure they're safe at night from any kind of predators, thieves, anything like that, right? So if you've done any kind of farm work or laboring things, we know, you know that staying awake all night after you've been awake all day is not easy. They didn't have coffee. They couldn't go to Starbucks and get a big jug of coffee for, hey, hook me up with whatever. I need a big jug of coffee. So I, I got to work late tonight. Right, so they're just trying to stay awake. They maybe took turns and watches. Who knows how they did it. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And we see this in the Bible several times where the angel of the Lord, and I say it every time, I still think it's comical every time I say it. The first words out of the angel's mouth, don't be afraid. Right, because this is probably the scariest thing you have ever seen or ever will see in your life. Here's this probably glowing, angelic being. You know, who knows what they look like, really? Wings, if you go with the, the descriptions in the Bible, they may have, the, if they're the seraphim, they're burning. They have lots of eyes. They're, you know, whatever their head looks like, it's scary. Probably something out of a sci-fi movie, only it's real. Don't be afraid for look. Like, hold on. Don't run away. I have some news for you. I have good news of great joy that will be for the, all the people. It will be for all the people. Great joy. Well, that's like, what are you going to tell me that's great news that I'm standing here being afraid and you're going to stop me from being, running away? But here it is. This is the news for you. This, this is the setup. The news of the Messiah is something the angel even says it's cause for great joy. Like This is the day to be happy. This is the day you all have been waiting for for decades, for centuries. You hear the stories from the Old Testament, from the prophecies that the Messiah is coming. And all of a sudden we have the announcement, the herald saying, here he is. He's been born today. History is unfolding before your eyes. And guess what? You are also now wrapped up into this history. Right? We hear the story of these shepherds, even though we don't know their names. We talk about them probably every year. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. But they are part of history. And so here they are. They are part of this great, joyous birth announcement that the world celebrates 
Because glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. So here it is, the, the peace. The peace offering is here. And so the Messiah it can be found laying in a feed trough, a manger in Bethlehem. He's the Savior of the world. And so why is this good news? Because the Messiah was bringing peace. The Messiah brings peace between you and God. There's a way, all of a sudden, there's a way for me, there's a bridge for me to get from here to there into God's presence. And I don't have to keep earning it and working for it and just keep hoping I do enough. Hoping I earn enough goodwill toward my other man to get into heaven. But the Messiah has come to right all the wrongs of the world. He's going to come and right the wrong that Adam brought into the world. Right. Jesus is the second Adam. So the envoy for peace has arrived and he's making the final preparations for the peace treaty that's going to be signed in roughly right 35 years or so. If this is 4 B.C., they think you know, Jesus was born early between 4 and 7 B.C., so he wasn't born in zero. So you know, he was roughly 35, 39 years old, somewhere in there, somewhere in that realm of ages. But here he is 35 years later or so, the peace treaty would be signed in, in blood, in his blood, like the new covenant. And so people have been living in the dark and waiting for the Messiah to arrive. And so we're going to go back to India. So this is a picture of, of how people in India still carry items. And so that's going to come be important in a minute. So this in, India is made up of many people groups. And it's actually said that the Apostle Thomas brought the gospel of Christ to them after... Everybody was dispersed, like he went all the way east and, and went into India. And he died there sometime, in, they think, in 72 AD. But in the late 1800s, England was colonizing India. They're, you know, French, the French were in Asia. So you have a lot of Europeans taking their religion and moving over to, to these other regions. And so they weren't necessarily unfamiliar with Christianity. So the Christian groups, the churches, started sending missionaries to these lands. To start colonizing, to, you know, as missionaries, they don't just come and preach the gospel. They'll set up hospitals, they'll set up schools, dig wells, those types of things. Right? That's part of what they do. They do humanitarian work as well as, so they're funding it as much as the government is funding it as well. So it's, it's a win-win situation for the most part. So again, this one missionary who ends up in India is Dr. Chamberlain. He was a medical doctor, like I said, as well as a preacher. And so the story starts in one morning, just before breakfast, he hears chanting that the locals used when they were carrying heavy loads, maybe ooga chukka, ooga chukka, right? So there you have these guys carrying, and so so this imagine this picture there with longer poles, and there's four people carrying, and in between that that package, whatever it is, is actually a blanket with a man inside it. That not this picture, but that's imagine the picture, right? So I don't know what this is, but this is the closest picture I could find to kind of set the, give you the illustration. But these four guys are carrying this long bamboo pole with a blanket hammock. And again, inside this hammock was a sick person. Yeah. So you have two people up front and two people in the back. And then you have other people walking behind him as well. And so they're walking up the road. And these men have traveled two days. They've traveled two days to get from their village to where Dr. Chamberlain is because they want to get this sick man healed. And so, because they had heard this foreign doctor that could work wonderful cures, as the story says. Right? And so the younger man is, in the, is the one in the blanket. He has, he has a, he's the nephew. The older man is an uncle, and he was, he was blind. He just recently lost his sight. 
So the doctor assesses the younger man, and he's in a bad way. He's, you're about ready to die. So he performs a surgery on him. Right, and all of a sudden, he, he takes a little while to recover. And then he also performed surgery on the uncle to restore his sight. And that was a little easier of the task, I guess, for, for the doctor. So he does this. And then they stay at the hospital for recovering for two whole weeks. And so each morning, the patients heard the doctor reading and explaining a chapter of the gospel. So he would read through a chapter of the gospel each, week, each day, and he would explain it. And so the story goes that by the end of their two weeks before they left, that they begged for a copy of Yesu Christu, the divine guru, as they called him, so that they might tell their neighbors of the good news that they had heard. And so here they are. They're, I don't want to say they're captive in, their, in the hospital, but they're hearing this, and he's, the doctor is using his platform to not only heal them physically, but heal them spiritually. And so he, Dr. Chamberlain went to India so that people could hear the good news. And so we hear these two guys, they hear the good news. They hear Yesu Christus. So Jesus, that's Jesus Christ in their language. And we also see that the shepherds, although they're terrified by what the angel says, they get over it and they hear the good news, right? They're able to hear the message that the angel tells them, that this, the Messiah has been born. And so... Starting in verse 15, they go to confirm the news. The shepherds get up and they run. They hurried off. That's what it says, right? They hurried off from wherever they were at. They went into, so they probably went in a little bit of a run. They probably didn't just stroll in. Even though it was late at night, all of a sudden they had this energy. So the shepherds go in they look and see where they could find the baby. And I'm, I don't know how many babies were being born that night, but maybe it was an easy easy thing to hear the baby crying. I'm not sure how Bethlehem's not huge, but they probably had to, you know, kind of imagine if they're here, the shepherds are here, and they're walking through Tanglewood, listening to each house, going, is there a baby in here? Hey, did you just have a baby? Did you have a baby? You know, maybe knocking on the door, like, who is this? Who's knocking on my door at 3 in the morning asking if I had a baby? <laughs> so maybe there was, a, maybe, I don't know how they found it, but obviously they, they went there and they were able to see easily now maybe because they, it was in a manger so they could maybe go where the, the manger was, something like that. But. And so they have this wonderful idea. And so they're telling Mary the story. They said, the angels came by, they told us you had a baby, and here's what they said. And you probably hear this excited speech, this joy, that they're so excited and overwhelmed. And Mary's just taking this all in. And I know after you have a baby, you know, women, you guys are all pretty tired. That's, that's an understatement probably. You know, like, I'm done, I'm wiped, I'm wiped out. But, but you see that, that how much this joy held Mary because she's listening and she's taking all this in, right? Verse 19 says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Because she had already been warned, she had been told. And we have that from Matthew, what, what Mary gets told about Jesus. And we know what Joseph knows about Jesus. But again, it's kind of interesting when you have other confirmation from things as well. And so here's, here's the good news, here's the Messiah, and she's just taking this up. She's kind of making a mental scrapbook of how wondrous all this news has been. And again, she's in the middle of history as well. She says, well, my son actually is the Messiah. Angels are coming around announcing the birth and doing the work for me, all these things. This is amazing. And of course, she has to kind of be, it seems like she would probably be sworn to secrecy, it seems like, because Jesus wasn't ready for everybody to know who he was just at the time when he started his ministry. So they were probably like, yeah, it's Jesus, he's God's kid, don't worry, he's God's son. And so I imagine there's some stress there, but, but imagine how joyful that is, though, that you have 
the knowledge that here's the Messiah, you're raising the one who's going to save the world. And so if, you, if you've, you guys have heard me talk about the show, The Chosen, um, it's an eight-episode eight, eight show right now, and if you haven't seen them, they're on PureFlix. I think you can see them on YouTube as well. I think you can go to the website. If you look up The Chosen website, you can see them on there. But the way they got started was that they actually did a Christmas short for the church, the, the guy's church, the guy who made it, Dallas LaHaye. He kind of made this scene. He, he, you know, they filmed a scene like this. And so the, the cool thing is when the shepherds, when it says they hurried off, you have them run, he has them running, like sprinting. And one of the guys, he has a limp, he has a, a bad foot, and he is running, even his crutch kind of goes flying, and he's, he's still just running. How joy, overjoyed he was with this knowledge of the Messiah. And it's interesting, it's like, I think it's like a 15-minute thing, but it's, it's, it's a really good show. And so we see this, and it's good to see this. And so going back to the people in India, the Telugu men, right, these two guys, they're now they're healed. They're living in the hospital. They're getting ready to go back. And so they asked, and, and, and Chamberlain finally said, okay, fine, here's a Bible. He gave them a Bible. They're like, well, we can't read. So they had this plan. Right, so they had a plan that said when the cloth, so they were, the town was largely weavers. They made cloth. So they said, when the, weaver, when the cloth merchants come to look at their wares, right? so when he comes to buy our stuff, we're going to say, look, let's sit down and read the book for a little while. Let's sit down and read this. How about you, get, you read this to me, and then we'll talk business. And so when the tax collector comes, same thing. Hey, before we pay our taxes, how about you sit here and read this for us? Let's, let's hear about Jesus. It's an ingenious way to get people to read the gospel, because, hey, I want you to read to me. I want you to read to me about this, about this man, this, this God-man who came and saved me. And so they told him, they told Dr. Chairman, let us have this book because we want all our village to know about the divine guru, Yesu Christu. Right? So they, they, they realized that this news was not just for them. They said, we want our whole village to know who he is. And we'll get, we'll get the news out however we get it. So these people, they're assuming people are going to come on a regular basis to hear the stories, to read to them, basically pre act as kind of unwitting preachers to read the gospel messages to everybody else. Because imagine they were probably, everybody would gather by this point and hear, sit around and hear the stories. And of course, if you hear the stories enough, a lot of the oral traditions, you memorize everything, so then you can tell the story too. You know, that's how a lot of the stuff got propagated, was it was a lot of oral tradition. And so we see this, and, and this, is, this is spreading the gospel. These guys are so convinced of the good news that they heard it for two weeks and they want everybody else to know who, know who Jesus is as well. That's how overjoyed they were. Right? Because it's not just about the stories. Now these are just good stories, a lot of these anyway, but it's not just about the stories. It's about who the stories are about. Right? It's about the stories because they're about God. The stories are just there as the vehicles to help us remember the things about God that we need to know. That's why most of the Bible is in narrative form, because that's how we remember things easier. And so these people wanted us to know, and the shepherds wanted to see the Messiah, and so did the weavers. So the shepherds were able to actually go see Jesus laying there in the manger and say, I laid eyes on the, the Messiah. Now we cannot do that. But we can still see the stories. We can open the book and, and picture it in our heads of what it looks like. Where we have our, 
our, our, our nativity scenes and it kind of helps us out a little bit. And so the weavers cared so much they wanted their whole village to know and anyone else they came in contact with to see Jesus as well. And so that's what we have in the church and that's, what the, that's why the church is open. Not just to come to hear the stories but to see God and to share what God has done for each of us and to share Him with others. That's what our mission is. That's what we're here for. Because after that, we can then do in what in verse 20 that says, and we can marvel at the news. We can marvel at the things that have happened in our lives. Right, so verse 20, Luke tells us, the shepherds returned. They probably shoot them out. They said, all right, you know, mom has to sleep. Baby has to sleep. Let's get out. You guys need to go away. You guys smell bad, by the way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> your shepherds, go. Right. But the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. All right, so think about it. These guys are up all night. These guys work all day. They're walking back and forth however far, however long it takes to get into Bethlehem and back and forth. And they're going all these things, and then but yet they're not tired. Right, this is like one of the Super Bowl, right, where you're so tired, but you're so happy. Just like any other birth, you know, the birth of my kids, I called my parents. They were both born in the middle of the night. No, they can't be born in the, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon when it's easy, you know, which explains my kids pretty much. But they're born at like 1, you know, 2, 3 in the morning. And luckily, it's, well, one of them was out here, the other one was in Georgia, but you still call your parents. Right? You call the grandparents, hey, congratulations. You're a grandparent, and they're like, it's 3 in the morning. But they don't say that. They're so happy. They're like, yay! And so that's, what, that's what's going on here. Right? They're, so, they're so marveled. They're so amazed at the news and this event that happens. Because they, they know that this eschatological, right, this, this idea, this end times, this is ushering in a new era of time. Right? That the Messiah is coming. So God is fulfilling His promises to the world. And we see this stuff set up. Because that's the overall bigger picture. It's not just the birth of a child. It's the eschatological viewpoint of here it is, the Messiah has come to make everything right. And that's what we always need to keep, keep in mind that this is all part of furthering God's plan. That God fulfills His promises. And that's why we should be over, even more overjoyed. Because this is a history-making event, right? This is the count. We count time by the arrival of Jesus. That's how important he is. It's how important he is to the world. Now the world is trying to shift that from going from A.D. to C.E., the common era. Right? But we know everybody else still says A.D. We live in 2020 A.D., the year of our Lord. Right? The incarnation is the turning point in the war. And so what about the uncle and the nephew that took the Bible? Right? They're like, okay, you're going back to your village. Your Dr. Chamberlain has other things to do. So he's not really thinking about it. So three years passed, though. Three years go by. And he, had been, he, preached, he preached through India. He kind of went on a, you know, a tour, getting to different villages and whatnot, giving medical aid and things like that. But, so eventually he comes back to their, their village. He gets into their village. And he meets them. They're like, oh, Dr. Chamberlain, yeah. And so while they're sitting under the village's council tree, the uncle and the nephew told the doctor that after hearing the gospel... 
that everyone in the city, in the village, agreed to give up his idols if the Dr. Padre, that's what they called him, the, the, the Dr. Father, would send someone to teach them more about Jesus. They said, we believe in this book, we believe in God, we believe these things, and we have basically kicked our gods out. But we need somebody else to come teach us more, because I'm sure the, the, the cloth merchants and the tax people only come you know, every once in a while. So they have to remember the stories, they have to be able to teach them, but there's a whole lot more in here to learn. So if you send somebody here, we would, that would be great. That would be super great if you, if you could do that. And so he says, yes, of course, I'll, I'll do that. So he's leaving town. And he's walking by and he notices the village temple. I guess every, temp, every village has a temple um, there with all kinds of idols, right? Because these are all polytheistic gods or, or people. So they have a god for the weather. They have a god for the fields. They have a god for farming. They have a god for fishing probably, whatever they are. So this... Imagine this, this, this little hut or something with all these statues and statuettes inside it. And he walks by. He asks a few people about the idols. He says, hey, what about these things? Are we, what are you guys doing with them? And they said, oh, they mean nothing to us now. And he said, what are you going to do with them? Like, if they mean nothing to them, why don't you get rid of them? Because apparently they were still a little bit hesitant to get rid of Just go, go ahead and fully just dump them all in the trash. Because right? they still, oh, maybe, what if we don't want to, what, what if we make them mad or something like that, right? So they were still kind of hanging around him, but the, the uncle goes back in, and he put, he, it says he pulls out the chief swami. He said, I'll be back. I'm going to go in and get the chief swami. So when I was reading the story, I thought it was a person. I was like, and then it said, so he, he goes and he breaks off the swami, the statue, the head, the head god, if you want to look at that. He breaks him off where he's anchored to or attached to and he brings it over to him and he hears here you go and he, before he does this the, the, the old man says well old fellow and he's talking to the statue he said well old fellow be off with you we and our ancestors have worshipped you and feared you for thousands of years but listen but we have found a better God and are done with you Jesus is now our God right. Dr. Chamberlain was not there for three years these guys have been getting whoever they could get to read the Bible to them so they could hear the stories. And the entire village basically hopped the fence from, from whatever gods they were worshiping over here and said, we're done with you. We're done with all of you. We're out of here. We found a better God. We now worship Jesus. Dr. Chamberlain didn't have to do anything. All he did was fix some people up and, and read the Bible kind of just out loud and explain to whoever was listening. So look at how God worked through the doctor. Right? Those two guys were there hearing the gospel messages for two weeks, and they took it and spread it to their whole village and whoever else was coming in and out of there. We can, be, we can marvel at the news and how it spreads and with, without even our help. But at the same time, look at how much he did really help. If Chamberlain wasn't there, what would happen? Who would tell him? Like if, who was, if he wouldn't go, who would? And same thing with us. If we wouldn't be here, who would be here to do this? Who would be here to, to have kids club? Who would be here to tell people in the neighborhood that God is still here, He's alive, He's active in the world, and He loves you? That is why we're here. Right? And it may seem like it's slow going. It may seem like for three years we don't hear any news from anything or anybody, but all of a sudden, boom, there's an explosion. A whole village is saved. You know, that's what, this is our village. 
That's why we're here. You know, this this part here and part of Santa Maria, whatever, whatever we're doing, that's our that's our job. Because the Holy Spirit is working and we can marvel at what God is doing. Right? And, and we could just be like, wow. Because I am. The growth I see from everybody is like, wow, I I get up here and say some things and, and we're kind of dumb, but everybody's like, ah, oh, just this or the other. You know? And Veronica tells me, did you hear did you, what the pastor said? Whatever it was from several months ago, you guys are all pulling things out of your archives. Like I said, you know, he said this or that. That's not me. That's God getting into your lives and working on your lives. And so that's why we can have joy because he's here and he's active in our life. He's doing things. He's moving in our lives and in the world. So here's a couple verses that I pulled out that you can take notes because the application is that we need to be aware of what Jesus is doing. So here's Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right, Dr. Chamberlain left America to go to India. Probably people were probably like, well, that's not a good idea. But imagine the joy he had when he walks into this village and all these villagers are now Christians. That is way better. That is way more fullness of joy than whatever would have happened here in America during his life. The same thing with us. If we have one person get saved, that is more important than anything else that we could ever do. And we do a lot of important things. I want to make sure that the things we do day to day are important. But getting somebody, being a part of somebody's salvation is important. Right? And we can have this when we rely on God and we're there in His presence. We can be completely content. Right? Joy is different than being happy. Because joy is more consistent, I think, than happiness is kind of based on your external. Joy is internal. Happiness is external, I think. And that's why Paul was so joyful even though he was in prison. Because he was content with God. Whatever was going on. Second one is Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. This is kind of for the hard times. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So all these things, if you're a farmer, if you're an agricultural type culture, these are the worst case scenarios. That's your income, your fruit, your olives. There's no food, there's no vegetables. You don't have any you know, lambs or sheep or cows or whatever. But you're going to rejoice in the Lord and take joy because He is the one who has saved you. He is the one who has set you apart for eternal life. And so all, through all the bad things, we can take joy in God. And here's Galatians. This is what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. All right, so the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So you should be, one of the things that are evident if you're a Christian, if you've been saved, one of the evidences is that you are joyful no matter what. You're not swayed by everything that goes bad. Now, it doesn't mean we don't worry. It doesn't mean we don't have issues. It doesn't mean we don't have things going on and we, we forget or we react a certain way. But then we kind of settle down. Because if you ever noticed, Veronica's in the back usually telling me to slow down when I, speech, when, I, when I preach because I get excited. And we can do the same thing. We can be excited and be like, okay, i got to do things, and then we settle down. 
I'm going to rest in God. I'm going to let Him figure things out. He'll tell me where to go. And I'm joyful no matter what. Just like if the Habakkuk stuff takes place, it's okay. God's got it handled. Amen. I'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. And I'm here hanging out. I'm going to do my part. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on God. Because all these things flow into this. And so these fruits of the Spirit, so that's how we can tell if we're maturing in Christ. Because all of a sudden, the things that maybe made us happy, maybe don't make us happy so much as, much, as more, but we're so joyful in God. That we don't need to worry about the external happiness factor. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. Doesn't mean we don't do things and have fun. But it means that we derive, our fun has become different and our joy comes from a different place. And so this story, the story about the people in India, the Toluca people, it could have been better if it was made up. Right? And so the same thing with the shepherds. Here you have the angel coming. We see the angels coming to different people at different times in the, in the Bible. They're not just made up stories because I wouldn't make up a story like that. It doesn't make sense. People wouldn't believe it. But your life is also like that. Your life is probably way crazier than if you wrote it. If you sat down and tried to write a character, probably most of the stuff that happened in your life you would not include. Because it would either be too crazy or just too outlandish or, you know, whatever. Like, people aren't going to believe that this happened for real. Right? That's why these stories are so good. Because they actually happened. So the, the, the truth is stranger than fiction, as they say. So as disciples of Christ, we don't need to go save people. Like, we don't save anybody. We are here to hear the good news. Right? We, that's how we become disciples. We hear, and then we accept it. We, we, we become, and then we have to make sure that everybody else hears the good news. That is our job. Our job is to proclaim. So Jesus tells us, go and make disciples. He doesn't say go save people. He says, go and tell them about me. And that's what we're here to do. And then we just have to watch God work everything else out for His glory. Because it's going to work out way better than what we ever thought we would try to do. Because we have our ways of thinking, and He has His ways of thinking, and His power to do things. And we can have joy in our lives because we're doing what, we commanded, what we're commanded to do. We can take joy because we know that this is what we're supposed to do, and I'm doing my job. Most of us, you know, if you work, you know that you, you get a good sense of happiness and joy because I'm doing what they're, I'm doing what they're paying me to do and I'm, ha I'm having a good time at it. You know, I can be joyful. And I can be overjoyed and in awe by watching God work His power in people's lives. And so we need to be just like Dr. Chamberlain, just keep doing the work God called us to. Whatever that is, whatever your job is, whatever the work He's called you to do is, that's what we're supposed to do. And we can have joy, the joy of our salvation that comes from, the, from our Lord, the Lord. So the interesting thing is that the Toluca people are still Christians, or at least a good bit of them, and they're producing quite a bit of uh, media. So I have a picture, I think of a movie, it's like a movie picture, or like a, like a movie title picture. Um, so that's Jesus Christ in the Toluca, I think, that, that yellow script there. Um, so they're actually very much Christians. So I looked up, I looked up Toluca People Christ kind of thing, and, and I put up a good bit of stuff. So there, these trees are still bearing fruit that God had Chamberlain plant a couple hundred years ago. And hopefully, it's the same thing with us, right? We we planted these trees. When's a good time to plant an oak tree? Thirty years ago. <laughs> When's the next best time to plant the tree? Today, right? We plant it today. So plant your tree. 
And take joy in this and watch it grow. Watch these things, watch your tree grow. Because no matter what happens, good, bad, and different, everything should be counted as joy because it's part of our training and our teaching. And so as we go out this week, right, the week of Jesus' birth celebration, Christ's Mass, that we spread joy to everybody who will listen. Spread joy while we, while we celebrate Christmas. Why is it important to, to people? And we tell the gospel story. We say that the Savior was born in Bethlehem to bring peace to those whom He favors. So that's what I want you guys to do this week. That's what I, I need to do this week as well. So we sing our last few songs. All right, let's figure out how to be joyful. Let's sing joyfully these last few songs. And we can be happy in the Lord. Thank you.